Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. Lots of dates today. It's June the 10th, 2022, but the January 6th hearings are beginning uh, in Washington, D.C. They're bound to be divisive, not that um, America needs any more divisiveness. According to uh, Ed Luce in the FT, America is two nations, barely on speaking terms. I think many people in this country would agree with this. Uh, America profoundly divided between city and countryside, between left and right, between Republican and Democrat. Democrats are struggling as well, uh, according to the Times, to talk about the problem from hell, which is, of course, inflation. But the, the White House is struggling to break through on many fronts, the Democrats generally, especially on the, the rural front. Now, some people think that Biden's already done more for rural America than Trump ever did. This was an op-ed uh, from last uh, from April in the New York Times. But even Democrats aren't necessarily in agreement about this. My guest today uh, co-wrote an op-ed in the New York Times uh, earlier this month, uh, uh, sorry, earlier in May, uh, what Democrats don't understand uh, about rural America. She is the co-author of a new book, Dirt Road Revival, How to Rebuild Rural Politics and Why Our Future Depends on It. And I'm thrilled that uh, Chloe Maxman, who is also a Maine uh, state senator, is joining us from Maine today. Chloe, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So is Ed Luce right, Chloe? Is America two nations unable to talk to one another? And um, is it essentially an urban-rural divide now in America? I think that's, you know, a, a pretty simple but also fairly accurate way to describe what's going on right now. I think there's there's so much division and a lot of narratives like that headline that really reinforces us focusing on that division. There's, there's no doubt that there's many conversations and spaces where that divide can't be crossed. But in our experience campaigning in rural Maine, talking with so many folks uh, who, are, who are Republicans who never vote for Democrats, they're actually can be common ground if we take the time to go find it. Uh, you write in your um, in your op-ed and in the book about um, the values of rural life. You talk about common sense, tradition, frugality, community, and hard work. Is there something distinctive in your experience? I know you grew up in Maine about rural life, rural culture, rural values that Democrats, particularly on the coasts of Miss, the Democrats of where I am in San Francisco or in New York City or Boston. Yeah, I think, you know, I think when we're talking about the national democratic narrative and the national reputation of the Democratic Party that, you know, whether whether it's true in fact or not, that is the perception in rural America um, and, you know, in the community that that I live in, that the Democrats are more about wealth and spending and raising taxes and not about really understanding the day-to-day -day struggles of someone living in a rural area working a minimum wage job and so you know that messaging divide is really tricky and really really 
detrimental. It's interesting. We're seeing that here now with our governor's race here in Maine. We have a Democratic governor running for re-election against a very conservative Republican who was governor um, previous to her. You know, and, and our Democratic governor has has put a ton of money in our state's rainy day fund, saved the state so much money. She's been very fiscally conservative, but that message just doesn't trickle down because the reputation of the Democratic Party is so strongly in opposition to some of the, the actual facts of policymaking. So uh, much of the narrative in Dirt Road Revival, uh, Chloe, is built around your own personal narrative of running as a, I think you're 25 now, running as a young woman, fresh out of Harvard as a state senator. What did you learn that many Democrats, particularly on the coasts, don't understand about rural America? You know, I think um, I think there are a lot of folks like me who are Democrats in rural conservative places who are having these conversations and doing this work. You know, Canyon and I by no means are the, are the only ones in this in this realm. But I'm not suggesting you're the only ones, but you're in a minority, I think. Well, I, I just say that because I, I think I always want to lift up the voices of everyone doing this hard work. But, um, you know, I come from a, a family of Democrats and I did a lot of progressive organizing in college around fossil fuel divestment. My, you know, I, I kind of came of age in the progressive movement. And when I decided to run for office in my hometown house district that went strongly for Trump and and trend 16 percent Republican, you know, I, I had conversations every single day with voters who had never been contacted by a Democratic candidate or canvasser in their entire voting history. And we might assume, oh, we haven't talked to those folks because we have nothing in common and it's a lost cause. But I was so surprised to find in myself and in these conversations that I was having with folks, my neighbors, my community, that there was so much common ground. And even if someone didn't vote for me, there was a really genuine and honest conversation that really changed my perspective on, on what we need to do on the progressive side to really build durable political power for all of the issues that we care about. So you identify yourself as a progressive. What are the issues that you think most define your progressiveness in terms of local and national politics in America when it comes to the Democratic Party that you that you, and you think resonated with Maine voters? You know, I, I think there's there's very little that doesn't resonate. You know, it's it's more about how we talk about it, you know, so one of the reasons that I ran for office is because of the climate crisis. And I really see how that's impacting my community and how it will impact the future of, of my, my home and my state. But when I talk to folks in my district, I rarely hear people talk about climate change. And, you know, on the Republican side, we talk more about, uh, you know, gosh, it's really hard to farm this this year. There's just no rain or, man, I couldn't get out ice fishing till January. But when I grew up, I was out there in November. You know, we're just kind of talking about things in, in a different way. And that's really what struck me is if we're really ideological about what we're talking about and how we're talking about it, and we don't take the time to really listen for a different way, then we're just going to get stuck in our ruts. And the patterns that you were mentioning at the beginning of the show are, will only get worse. You know, it's funny, uh, a few months ago, I interviewed a young woman, another young woman, another state senator in Virginia, Denitza Rome. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. She has an interesting book out, Burn the Page. Um, she stressed that her success, a true story of torching doubts, blazing trails and igniting change, 
perhaps she's slightly more radical, different sort of character than you, but she ran on her authenticity. And that's what she says is enabled her to win uh, a seat in the Virginia uh, State Senate. Did do you feel the same that your success is bound up in your and, I, and I'm careful with this word because it's not necessarily my favorite word, but I can't think of a better one. Authenticity. I think I think authenticity is definitely part of it. You know, I, I really in my conversations, that's so much of what I heard from people about why they resonated with Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump, you know, these people who didn't seem to be playing the game and were just being themselves and how voters are really drawn to that. They just want someone who seems to resonate with their own life experience. But I think, you know, you can be authentic all day long, but if you're not actually up talking to voters and showing them your authenticity, then um, then it doesn't go as far. So, you know, for us, it was a combination of authentic campaigning, you know, authentic volunteers. We had so many folks working on our campaign and everyone was talking to voters. One of the things that will occur to many people, I'm sure you get this question all the time, is sure, Maine, you know, it's a wonderful state, but it's unique. It's very white. It's relatively privileged compared to many other states in America. And it stands alone. How, how do you respond to that? I know you think that your experience in Maine can be replicated throughout America, but it is, isn't Maine a one-off, an odd place, a beautiful place, a wonderful place, but not necessarily uh, the main model can be scaled in the rest of America? Well, I think every state is, is unique and so is every community. And certainly what works in Maine may not work in other places, but some of it definitely will. You know, our experience was informed not only by our campaigns in Maine, but Canyon and I had both worked on multiple other campaigns before in multiple other states and had uh, you know, a pretty solid sense of what of what campaigns look like across the country. So the lessons that we were able to draw out of our experience were were coming from that lens of saying, okay, this this is something that Canyon experienced in South Carolina, or this is something that Chloe experienced organizing in a more urban space. So all of that has gone into our work. We definitely don't profess to know all of the answers, but what we discovered in these in these conservative districts in Maine that Democrats have had a very tough time winning was just really profound. And I, I, you know, from my own perspective, I don't know how we combat these divides and how we build the kind of politics that we need without a grassroots type of politics. What's your take, um, uh, Chloe, on the state of the Democratic Party? As I said, I live in San Francisco. Chesa Boudin, I'm sure you, you're familiar with that story, just got recalled as um, as, as uh, the guy in charge of, of quote-unquote crime in San Francisco. Someone wrote, Nellie Bowles, very good journalist, how San Francisco has become a failed city. Have metropolitan liberals failed the Democratic Party? Are they failing it? Can they learn from rural types like yourself? I mean, first of all, I think I think most folks you know, are just are just chugging along with good intentions and doing what they think is best. And so I'm a positive person and I don't want to put anyone anyone down. You Even Chaser Boudin. I'm not familiar enough with her with her story. Uh, as as That's a really a man. My, but anyway, go on, sorry, go on. Yeah, my my world is filled with state politics, so I can best serve my constituents. Um but yeah. I think that 
the Democrats have been seeing a trend over the past decade. You know, back in 2009, amongst rural voters, there was an even partisan split. So, you know, neither Democrats nor Republicans had the advantage in rural communities. And today, rural communities are swinging to the right by 16 points. That's a wild shift in just over a decade. Throughout Obama's presidency, the Democrats lost over a thousand, sorry, just under a thousand state legislative seats. That's the largest loss since Eisenhower. So there are some pretty stark trends that have been happening to Democrats for a really long time. And I don't think that we've paid enough attention or invested the resources in the infrastructure and the organizing and the candidates that can combat that kind of massive political swing. I think we have no choice but to learn these lessons because the future of our climate, of racial justice and social justice and, and everything that our lives depend on, um, you know, I don't think we have a better vehicle for fighting for these things than the Democratic Party. So yeah, the party at the national level needs to needs to pivot, needs to needs a different approach. Had Gary Shapiro on the show yesterday. I don't know if you know him. He's the head of the Consumer Electronics Association, very much of a Washington insider. He said to me that he thinks if Biden and um, Biden and Trump face each other again in the 2024 election. There'll be a credible third party candidate. Is there a lot of uh, potential, do you think, for third party initiatives? I know you're a Democrat in a, in a, in a state like Maine, which has a tradition of being um, in the third party category more than most states. You know, I really think it depends on the context. So, you know, here in Maine, for example, we've had um, this very conservative governor, Trump before Trump, Paula Page, elected with a very small plurality of the vote because of the independent party spoiler effect. And that really scares me, you know, having someone elected to run a state who has 30 percent of the state's vote. I don't think that's fair on any on any level. So. I think there are some really important reforms that support independent candidates running for office and kind of help get rid of some of the partisan ideologies that can emerge in a campaign. Um, one of those is ranked choice voting, which we have here right. in Maine, although not for the governor's election yet, um, which is I love ranked choice voting. I think it's so important for, for independents to run for office if that spoiler vote isn't a problem and ranked choice voting solves that. Um, another thing that I've worked on in my tenure in the legislature and that we just passed this year is open primaries, which allows independent voters to vote in a party primary. So you're not just getting a candidate who represents, you know, the zenith of a party ideology, but you're getting independence in there to kind of help moderate what the what the candidate spectrum looks like. Um, there's fusion voting in New York where third parties can also gain the endorsement of the main party of like the Democratic Party. So I think there are these reforms that really support independence running for office. And I think we need those so deeply. Um, and I, But I think those reforms are really, they're going to take a long time. And so as those are plugging forth, I think it's also important to reform the Democratic Party and make sure that it is uh, like really representing everyone and building as broad and strong movement as possible instead of just focusing on the same strategies and tactics year after year after year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, especially on the ranked choice voting. Um, is there too much attention paid, do you think? Uh, I know Maine is a relatively white state to cultural politics. Do you think that that is one of the reasons why 
rural America is turned off by the Democratic Party? You know, I don't. Maine, Maine is very white for sure, you know, and and I and most of rural America, a lot of rural America is is not white, and so you know that's something that Kanan and I definitely write about in our book. I think talking about culture and our identities is so important. What I've heard from folks that I've talked to is that rural folks just feel like their culture and their identity is left out of the mainstream democratic narrative. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's, that's important to hear as well. I think we have, um, you know, we have so many resources in this country, so much wealth that is really concentrated. And that means that the folks who don't have access to all of that wealth, we're all pitted against each other in ways that are just tearing us down. And I think, um, you know, I think it's more important to confront that than to say that we shouldn't focus on the vital importance of our culture, the racism of our country, the all of the ways that our country is exclusive and, uh, you know, really diminishes and minimizes anyone who isn't white and wealthy. Chloe, one of the other people in the news today is J.D. Vance. His campaign for Senate apparently has been accused he's closely associated with Peter Thiel, not a great friend of this show with a secret website shenanigans. Surprise, surprise. Vance is, of course, very well known for his hillbilly elegy. He seems to have had a political change since then. A memoir of a family and culture in crisis, which I guess in a way fetishizes the rural nature of America and its current crisis. Do we need a hillbilly elegy on the left amongst progressives? Um. I mean, I think what we what we need is to really listen to what folks in rural America are saying and to hear that reality. And I think we don't go and listen because, you know, that person has a Trump sign on their lawn or in Maine, they have a LePage sign and you're just like, I don't want to talk to that person. I don't even know what I would say. There's, you know, I can't agree with anyone who's voting for Trump. And I, I think that lack of listening or that lack of willingness to listen is really holding us back from listening to a very painful and scary reality in rural places. It's it's also a reality that's deeply frustrated with politics that feels completely left behind and let down by representatives. It's a reality that wants the best for our families and our communities. We're just talking about it in different ways and we need different solutions because you know, a solution to a housing crisis in, in more urban space is going to look very different than what it looks like in the communities that I live in. So I think we need more space for that story, for sure. That doesn't mean that there is less space for any other story at all. But I think the consequences of not listening to the rural story, given the outsized power that the rural vote has in America, is a really, really bad calculus. You talk about your community, um, Chloe, but you are, for better or worse, uh, uh, very much a child of privilege. Your mom is Shoshana Zuboff, who actually was on the show a couple of years ago. I blurbed her latest book on surveillance capitalism. Uh, your father was the CEO of Volvo. You went to one of the top private schools in New England, then went to Harvard. You've clearly broken through. How have you done it? How How have you managed to establish a conversation with rural white Americans in Maine, who presumably most of whom aren't from your privileged background. What model do you offer other Democrats who also want to break through? 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, I believe that that information came from an Intercept article, which had so much inaccurate and personal information about me and my family. And it but, really that, but that stuff's true, right? I mean, Shoshana's your mom and uh, your father was the CEO of Volvo. You went to private schools. I mean, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. Well, I actually didn't go to, I went to a public high school. I went to- Okay, I apologize. I yeah, apologize. You I'm did go to Harvard, which is- No one knows my family or what my family has been through or my family's background. Um, and so I just, it's it's just painful that that article, which has built been been built on a lot of mistruths about me and my life. Um, I just appreciate if that didn't get any traction. I grew up in a, in a small town of 1600 people here in Maine on my family's farm. I've been farming- my, my whole life. And, you know, I just have a deep love for my community. And I decided to move back after graduating from, from Harvard, which I was very, very blessed to get into. And uh, I've invested my life in, in my community and taking the time to talk to my neighbors. I don't, I, you know, I don't think it's a, it's an uncommon story for young folks to move back to their rural hometowns. But I think we, you know, it's something that we definitely need more of. There's also, you know, when it comes to politics, I think the the ways that people can access the political system are really, are really twisted and really thwarted. Um, and it does take, I think, one of my greatest privileges is having flexible work so that I did have the capacity to knock on so many doors um, and then work in the morning and at nighttime before and after to make to make my life work. But um, I think the whole political system is very, very skewed towards the, the very wealthy who can afford to do this work without any other income. That's not me and that's not my family, but um, just I've just put in a lot of hard work and built my life around it to make it to make it happen and to be able to have these conversations and and now build my life on it. Conversations are as much about listening as they are about talking. We've had lots of shows about how to listen. Uh, had Monica Guzman, wonderfully uh, a wonderfully spirited young journalist, on very much involved with America, talking to one another across these two nations uh, through her group Fallen Angels. Uh, have, have you found, Chloe? It seems that as a politician, that you do you're as good a listener as you are a talker. You're clearly someone who is very articulate and smart. But presumably, you've gone into these communities, and this is one of the things that your 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 new book and the article in the Times suggest that road revival. You've gone in and listened. Is that the key? I think it's at the heart of of what we need to be doing that. We can't create a politics that's responsive and representative unless we know what we're responding to and representing. That means going and talking to people. It's a different form of campaigning. You know, it requires more resources, more time from the candidate. It requires more volunteers, um, you know, especially in rural places where it takes two or three times as long to knock as many doors as you need. But um, that listening is, is so it's so important. It's so vital. Well, we need you, uh, Chloe. When are you going to run for president? I don't know if that's going to happen. No, I'm teasing you, yeah, but certainly your um, your initiative is very important. Uh, your new book, Dirt Road Revival, How to Rebuild Rural Politics and Why Our Future Depends on It, is a really important conversation, particularly amongst progressives. Congratulations on, on all your success. Uh, I think we're going to be hearing a lot more of you, whether or not you run for president or not. You're certainly committed to making America a better place. Uh, in addition to your new book, Dirt Road Revival, what else have you been reading these days that are making you wiser about America or the world? 
I've honestly just really been focused on supporting local candidates and local organizing efforts in my community to help make sure that we're continuing to have these conversations and campaigns. And that's really what's been making me hopeful.